All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Speak to the Beak. I am Tim the Ferds on this packed January 7th. Uh, you'll hear this on Friday the 8th, but it, today where I'm recording it, January 7th, we got a lot going on. We got the New York Mets making a massive trade. We're going to talk about some potential NFL, well not potential, some head coach openings in the NFL. I'm going to rank them in jobs that I think are the best to the worst. And then obviously we're going to talk about wild card weekend uh, for the NFL. I got some big playoff games coming up. First off, before we start, uh, we, you know the podcast you know is on Spotify, and we're trying to get it out to other platforms. It's also on our website, BeatBrands.com, under the podcast section there. It would totally mean a lot if you you know help us spread the word, or you commented, interact with us. You can interact with me on social media at Tim Ferdinand. We also have. Tom Rupel, who writes for Beak Brands, he's our UFC guy. You can interact with him at Thomas underscore Jonathan 06. And then obviously, if you're looking for Big Daddy, at Lou Jocks on Instagram and Twitter. Also, definitely follow Beak Brands on Instagram and Twitter. We post a lot of our content on there or we promote our content on there, you can find all of our content at our website, which is beakbrands.com. Totally, if you like the podcast, you know, help share it with to our, you know, your friends, our friends, whatever. We're going to try to use some word of mouth here to pick up some following. With that being said, we are going to, I'm going to jump right in to the New York Mets making a trade for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. So going into this situation, I actually wrote about this ahead of time. You know, not that I knew the trade was going to happen, just what my thoughts were for the Mets offseason. The Mets needed as many pitchers as they could possibly get this offseason. I know it's still, you know, there's still time to sign guys, obviously, but I felt the Mets' biggest need was pitching, not hitting. Uh, there's a reason why there's plenty of bats on the free agent market and not a ton of pitching, because pitching is more valuable than hitting. But, and I was totally against trading for Francisco Lindor, because I thought the Mets were going to do what the Mets do, which is completely do it to themselves in the trade. But we didn't do that. We might have potentially turned a corner. The Mets got Lindor and Carrasco for Andres Jimenez, who's a shortstop, Josh Wolf, top prospect, Isaiah Green, outfield prospect, and Ahmed Rosario. I love this trade because Cleveland gave us their two best players that are not named Shane Bieber, so I guess their second and third best players, for pretty much Jimenez, and that's it. Isaiah Green... All right, whatever. We can pretty much non-factor to me. Like obviously he's got potential and all that, but you never know with prospects. So you're pretty much looking at Jimenez and Rosario and Wolf as a package for Lindor and Carrasco. So Jimenez obviously it hurts giving him up, but when you're trading someone who has the potential to be as good, maybe, maybe, that's like best case scenario, like absolute best case scenario, as he's as good as Francisco Lindor is right now. 
and Ahmed Rosario, who was not going to have any playing time if you acquired someone like Lindor, along with a pitching prospect for, you know, that's pretty much what you traded. A guy with potential to be maybe 80% as good as Lindor, Rosario, who wasn't going to play, and has been kind of a letdown, even though he has picked it up in the past couple, you know, last season he was better, you know, whatever, and a pitching prospect. For Francisco Lindor, who is either the second or third best shortstop in all of baseball, depending on who you ask, and Carlos Carrasco, who's easily a top 30 pitcher, probably a top 25 pitcher in the league. And the Mets needed pitching bad. Mets needed pitching so bad. I mean, they still need pitching. But we needed that Carrasco deal to go through. Like, when I first saw it, it was just Lindor. I was like, you got to be kidding me. We're about to do something stupid. But we got Lindor. I mean, we got Carrasco to go along with Lindor. That's the steal of the trade for me. Because if, you know, Jimenez ended up working out to be 75 to 80% as good as Lindor is, then it is what, you know, where Mets are looking good there if the trade doesn't happen. But the fact we picked up Carrasco for essentially a pitching prospect, that's amazing. I don't know how the Mets pulled that off. I don't know what Cleveland's doing. But good for them. Well, good for us, not good for them. Um, You know, the trade might work out for them long term, but we'll definitely take a top 30 pitcher to be our number two. And Lindor, who's a top two to three player at his position in baseball, any day of the week. So currently, the way the Mets kind of stack up with this trade, um, the way I would see it in our rotation, it would be obviously the Groms are one. I say our because I'm a Mets fan, in case you know, you didn't know. <laughs> the Groms the one. I would, I would potentially, you know, for me personally, I'm putting Carrasco as our two because Stroman is just all over the place. Strowman's our three, and then after that, it's really a crapshoot. The Mets don't have anyone after that. You know, according to their non-official, you know, 2020 roster, quote-unquote, your options are Steven Matz, who I know is terrible, Corey Oswalt, who I know is terrible, David Peterson, who got hurt last year, even though he was pitching mildly well, and Seth Lugo, who... His elbow is potentially a ticking time bomb. He's set to be a free agent in the near future. And we don't know if he could hold up for the entire season. And if we put him into the rotation full-time, that leaves the bullpen short. So pretty much the way I see it is we have three pitchers. Because I'm not expecting anything out of Syndergaard this year. If he comes back, it's going to be like late July, early September. So pretty much he's a non-factor in terms of making the playoffs. Uh, And then in the bullpen... You're looking at some combination of, you know, Diaz as your closer, Trevor May, Familia, Patances kind of make up the back end. And then, you know, that's pretty much it in terms of guys that you can, like, actually rely on on a consistent basis. So the Mets need pitching help in the worst way still because you pretty much have three starters you could count on and you have four or five bullpen guys you can count on. So it sounds like the typical Mets. Like, we're going to burn those three or four guys out. They're going to be terrible by the beginning of June, end of May, and everyone's going to hate them. But it's not really their fault that they have to pitch, you know, four times a week. Obviously, that's why Carrasco is huge to this deal. If I'm looking at the Mets and what I'm trying to do, obviously, 
we need pitching. So some guys that I would still be target targeting, like Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker, James Paxson, guys like that who have upside, can pitch innings, and won't cost you a ton. Now I know we have Steve Cohen's checkbook behind us now, so it's not like you know we can spend money, but like I wouldn't go on a spending spree right now, especially because he just bought the team. You don't know how much money he's going to be making from ticket sales, because it might not be fans. You know, whatever. Just trying to be real with it, honestly. You know, any person could go out there and just say we want every top free agent. You know, trying to be intelligent about it. And I think guys like the people I just named can give us a little bang for our buck because they do have really good potential and they're definitely better than what we have right now. So that's that. In the bullpen, I don't know. Archie Bradley and Brad Hand have been free agents this whole time. We should assign them the second free agency started as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Sean Doolittle's available. Now, Mets fans love this guy because every time he comes in against the Mets, he's terrible. Uh, but against every other team, he's really good. So if we signed him to play for the Mets, I think we'd be in good shape because the only team that owns him is us. So he wouldn't have to face our hitters, uh, uh, honestly, uh, you know, obviously. And I do think the Mets need a fourth outfielder at this point. No, I don't want George Springer. Why am I going to pay someone? who is literally just the more injured and older version of Brandon Nimmo when I already have Brandon Nimmo on my team. So uh, the way I see this stacking up is our infield would be, you know, Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, Davis from first to third. Outfield would be, you know, Dom Smith, Nimmo, Conforto. But after those guys, we don't really have anyone else that we could throw in the outfield. I mean, I think our fourth outfielder right now is listed as, like, Guillermo Heredia, which pretty much means we're calling somebody up because that's not – you can't have that as your fourth outfield option. And obviously there's still a ton of players that we could sign out there. So that's kind of what the Mets are looking at. In short, I think they – obviously they won this trade because, I mean, how could you not think they won this trade? They traded pretty much – one player that we think is going to be really good and a prospect for a top whatever 12-ish player in all of baseball, give or take, maybe higher than that, I'm trying to be conservative, and a top 30 to 25 pitcher in the league. Great trade for the Mets. And lastly, I want to cap this off because Steve Cohen is amazing on Twitter and his last tweet really had me going. I, I texted all my buddies, obviously, during this. And, you know, I, I'm like, oh, you're going to hop on the podcast tonight as guests and something, you know. just They just want to say they're very excited because, you know, they couldn't really give or get around. Uh, but today, Steve Cohen tweeted, I know this trade seems to be creating excitement, but let's get back to what matters, the black jerseys. This man gets it. I don't care. He could be like the worst owner in baseball. I wouldn't really care. This dude's amazing. The black jerseys are the best uniforms the Mets have. I don't care what you say. The pinstripes are terrible. I hate them. I wear the black uniform every single night. It's not that I hate the... I mean, I know I just said I hate them, but it's not that I hate them. It's just the black jerseys are elite. And why we ever got rid of them, I have no idea. So that's my thoughts on the Mets trade. We're going to swing over to football now because obviously Wild Card Weekend big things coming up but before we talk about the games there are some head coach openings currently you know they're doing the whole interview process and I'm going to rank the jobs what I think is the best job 
to the worst job. So here we go. My favorite job, or if I was a head coaching candidate, the place that I would pick to want to go to, LA Chargers hands down. It's a no-brainer. They have the best roster out of every team that currently has a head coach opening. They have a super young, promising quarterback that, you know, if he keeps playing like he did last year, you are 110% set a quarterback. You're going to pick up his fifth-year option. He's cheap. The rest of the roster is really good. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Keenan Allen. You know, you still have Mike Williams. You have Austin Eckler. If Derwin James can ever stay on the field, you have a top five safety back there. You still have Casey Hayward. Like, Chargers are stacked. You're in the L.A. market. You're going to have fans because there's a huge generational gap, right? I know people are saying, like, the Rams, the Rams, the Rams. And I don't live in California, obviously, so I don't know this for a fact. But I would just assume that since the Rams haven't been there in whatever, you know, 25, 30 years, give or take, a couple there, there's not a lot of people my age and, you know, a little bit older and a little bit younger that are just natural L.A. Rams fans, like, you know kids are going to pick the flashier, more exciting team. That's clearly going to be the Chargers. Jared Goff is terrible. The best part about the Rams is Jalen Ramsey and Sean McVay, their coach. And no one becomes a, you know, a fan of a team at a young age because of their coach and because of a defensive back. You know They're going to like the guys who score points. So the Chargers are definitely my number one job. The only con to that job is that you have to play Pat Mahomes twice a year. So that's obviously not great. But you have a roster that can compete with the Chiefs. So that would be my number one choice if I was a head coaching candidate. My number two choice would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. And for pretty much one reason only. You have Trevor Lawrence. Everything else on the roster is irrelevant to me. If you have a quarterback who even if he, I mean, the hype on him is like ungodly. And if he's as good, like even 80% as good as the hype is, you have a top six or seven quarterback in the entire league. Right, you're looking at Lawrence coming in and pretty much just duplicating what Herbert did last, like this past season. So if you have that coming in to the first pick in the draft and you play in a division with the Colts, who don't have a quarterback. Now, yes, they're really well run. They have a good defense. They have a good offensive line. They don't have a quarterback. And they're going to be too good to pick a quarterback. You play in a division with the Texans, who can't do anything right as of you know this point in time. And the only team that's a major threat is built around a running back who's eventually his body's going to fall apart. So um, now the, the downside to the Jags job is that the owner is a complete clown. Which, as we know in sports, giant red flag. But I think someone like Trevor Lawrence would be able to overcome an incompetent, an incompetent owner like the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You also have cap space, which I know is like super overrated, but it helps that you could be able to sign guys here and there. You know, this year's free agent class, not good. If you look it up, not good. Um, but cap space is nice to have because you can make splashes here and there. Jags also have a super young team. Right, if you can keep James Robinson around, undrafted free agent, he's cheap. You just drafted Henderson in the first round, he's cheap. You just drafted Caleb on Chase on in the first round, he's cheap. You still have Miles Jack, he's cheap. Like you got a bunch of good, cheap young players that you can build around. You have DJ Chark, he's cheap, right? 
Um, so that my number two job would be the Jags. Now, after those two, it got a little bit more difficult to kind of rank where I would go with these teams. So the team that I put third is the New York Jets. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one is you have the second pick in the draft. So if you feel really strongly about Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, any of those guys, you have the opportunity to pick them. Now, am I a Justin Fields guy? No, I'm not because I'm not a scout or anything. But if you watch the game, he stares down his receivers and every ball is behind the guys, like his receivers. So, I mean, no thank you. But not the point. If you feel that you can win with him, you can get your franchise guy with the number two pick in the draft. Some other things you like about the Jets job. It appears Joe Judge, Joe, Joe, I almost said Joe Judge, Joe Douglas knows what he's doing. He had a pretty, you know, solid draft. He was able to finesse the Seahawks for a couple of first round picks for Jamal Adams who has claimed the fame is that he sacks people from the safety spot. Like, okay, so you pretty much stole two first-round picks, even though they're going to be really late. It's still two first-round picks. So you have multiple firsts. You have, you know, you have, like, a basket of picks with the Jets. They appear to have a GM that knows what they're doing. You can hire whatever coaching staff you want, and they're going to be considered a success because the people you're replacing had no idea what they're doing. And... You also have the New York market, which is just built in right away. So if you have even a mild amount of success, they're going to think that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, when the Jets went to two AFC championship games with Mark Sanchez, Jets fans, because we live in New York here, you would have thought they won the damn Super Bowl just by making the game. So the expectations are low. So if you could just do anything right, you're in good shape there. My number four team... This four through six is pretty, I don't know if it's interchangeable, but like it's bad. And also with the Jets, they're kind of ahead on the rebuild already. They got rid of everyone. So they're like a step ahead, in my opinion, as opposed to these team, these bottom three teams. So for the fourth team, I put the Atlanta Falcons, um, mostly because they have a good owner. But that's pretty much it. You have no cap space. I mean, you do have like a top five pick. So like, okay, that's nice. But... Matt Ryan is on the downside, obviously, of his career. Julio Jones is never healthy and is grossly overpaid. I'm not sure they have anyone on defense besides Grady Jarrett, who is like a game changer. You need you don't have a running back because you signed Todd Gurley, which was stupid. I mean, you could draft one, but like, you know what I mean? You don't have really you don't really have a tight end. Offensive line is meh. You play in a division. With the Saints, who are always going to be really good pretty much as long as Sean Payton is there. You play in a division with the Buccaneers, who right now are a really good team because of Tom Brady. I know short window, but, I mean, you're a head coach. If you don't get it done the first three seasons, you're pretty much gone. So that's not good. And you play in a division with the Panthers, who Matt Rule looks like he knows what he's doing, and he's got a really young team on the upswing. So that's going to be a tough, that's a full-blown rebuild to me. Matt Ryan's gone. Julio Jones is gone. This is going to be a strip it down to the studs and just rebuild with Calvin Ridley and Grady Jarrett and hope that <laughs> you can make it work. By the time you finish this rebuild in two years from now, Brady is pretty much shot. Taysom Hill didn't work. And the Panthers and you are now the teams that are on the upswing 
slash hold the title to the division. So that's that. Now, these last two teams, these are tough. Because now, apparently, the owner of the the Texans is a huge clown. I put the Houston Texans at 5 and Detroit Lions at 6. But if you wanted to flip them, I could see why you'd want to flip them. So the only reason I put the Texans at 5 is because Deshaun Watson is younger and healthier than Matt Stafford. And that's pretty much it. The Texans have no picks. They have an incompetent owner. They do have a quarterback, which is nice. You have to deal with Preacher Boy over there, Jack Easterby or whatever his name is, making decisions in the owner's ear. You just hired a Patriots guy, Nick Casario, which makes no sense because you just had a bunch of Patriots guys running the team. You got rid of them, including Bill O'Brien. And now you're going to bring in Nick Casario, who's also from New England, so that he could potentially hire another Patriots guy. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Is Nick Casario even good at his job? I don't know. Because do we know what he even does in New England? Like, they say he's Belichick's right-hand man, but, like, doesn't Bill Belichick just do everything? So does he actually do anything? I don't know. I think the Texans are going to be one of those teams where as long as Jack Easterby is there, they're in trouble because he's a guy who's kind of like maniacal inside of the organization. And once you get him out, you might be okay. There was a rumor today that Deshaun Watson might request a trade, which luckily for me, there's an article about this that I wrote from last year because I saw this coming. I don't really know if there's a team that has the actual assets beside the Miami Dolphins to trade for this guy. I mean, obviously, every team, pretty much, except for, like, you know, three or four, would want him. He's young in his prime, really good, you know, the whole thing. But, I mean, the amount you'd have to give up for him, I think the only team that can actually make an offer they would accept is Miami. Maybe the Jets. So, we'll see what happens with Watson. I mean, if you trade Watson, I, that's easily the worst job. Because now you have no cap space. You have no, I mean, you have picks now, but you have no cap space. You don't have a quarterback. And I think the reason teams try to hoard draft picks is that they can trade up or use those picks to take a quarterback. So why would you trade your quarterback? I don't know. That makes most sense to me. Uh, number six, the Detroit Lions. Pretty much because they have a terrible ownership group. And, I mean, other than that, I mean, it's just bad. You got to play Aaron Rodgers twice a year. You got to play the Bears defense twice a year. The Vikings are always competently run. You have Matt Stafford, who's criminally underrated. That's another discussion for another day. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. You have TJ Hawkinson, who the current coaching staff, or the previous coaching staff, didn't know how to use. You have Marvin Jones, who's coming up on free agency and is older. You don't have an offensive line. The defense is old and slow. I'm not really sure what their even team identity is. I think the the best two, two players on offense, outside of Stafford, are you know, a rookie running back in a second year going into his third year tight end. And on defense, I don't know if they have anyone other than a Quora who you actually want. So I don't really know what Detroit is going to be doing. But that to me is probably the worst job. Because if you have to rebuild it, you have to rebuild that thing quick. Because Matt Stafford 
is, you know, whatever, 30-something years old. It's not like Deshaun Watson who's in his mid-20s. Stafford's on the other side of 30 already. So you got to get that ball rolling. So that would be my, you know, head coach opening rankings. Chargers number one, Jets number two. I mean, Jags number two, Jets number three, Falcons, Texans, Lions are four through six. All right, so let's switch gears. Playoff games this weekend, wild card weekend. We got some pretty good games, I'm not going to lie. And this is normally, you know, one of the best weekends in all of football is this weekend we have coming up right now and obviously also the divisional round. We get some pretty good games. So we're just going to go in order of the time these games are going to be played in. So let's open up with the first one. Indianapolis Colts at the Buffalo Bills. The line is currently Bills given six and a half. And this game pretty much comes down to, do you trust Josh Allen? Do you trust Phillip Rivers? I don't trust Josh Allen fully, even though he has made, you know, really big improvements to his to his game this year. His accuracy is, you know, much better than it has been in previous years. He's making the right play. I think that playoff experience last year helped him a lot. But in some of the big games this year, he's kind of looked shaky, right? They played Tennessee. He looked terrible. He played Kansas City. He looked terrible. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic on the Bills. And they are playing well. They're on fire right now. They've been torching everyone they've been playing. But until you show it in a big game, I'm not sure that I fully trust you. As far as the Colts go, I do not trust Phillip Rivers. Going outside into the freezing cold in Buffalo with his deter- deteriorating arm strength and decision-making. That's just not a good recipe there. Now, what's going to keep the Colts in this game is that they can run the living hell out of the ball with JT in the backfield in that nasty offensive line. And they have a they play a really strong Tampa 2 defense, which is a zone defense, uh, which should force the Bills to take a bunch of underneath throws, which may, might limit their upside. Um, I, I don't know... If Buffalo can consistently run the ball against the Colts front. So a lot of people think it's going to be a blowout. I don't know. I think this is going to be super close. I I use this game as my third game for the Friday fire. But I'm not super confident in this. Like if I could only, if there was only six games, I wish I could only pick two for my column because I probably would have left this one off. I'm going to take the Bills. But I really don't feel good about it. Like, I think Indianapolis keeps this game close the entire way or most of the game. I think what's going to end up doing the Colts in is a terrible Phillip Rivers decision because it's just bound to happen. So that's your 1 o'clock game on Saturday. At 440 on Saturday, we have Rams and Seahawks. This game I would not touch betting-wise. I don't care what the line is. I don't care who's playing quarterback for the Rams. It's not happening. We're not betting this game. In terms of just the game itself in a vacuum, if the Rams somehow won this game, I think that would put... I mean, Sean McVay is already a top coach, but that would easily vault him into the top three. You don't have your quarterback, so you're playing a guy who I've personally never heard of. Apparently, he played at like Wake Forest or something. He played in the AAF. He's your backup quarterback. You're playing your backup quarterback, who no one's ever heard of, really, against the division rival, Seattle Seahawks, who have Russell Wilson. If you can somehow win that game, 
with your backup quarterback, we know it's all the coach. Had nothing to do with anyone else. Now, last last week, I picked the Rams to beat the Cardinals because everyone was like, oh, they don't have the quarterback. Yeah, but Jared Goff stinks. So the fall off from Jared Goff to John Wofford, whatever the hell his last name is, is really not that steep as if you were going from, like, you know, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers to John Wofford. That would be bad. That would be very bad. Um, the Seahawks have kind of been sputtering on on offense, but their defense has stepped it up, but they haven't really played anyone good. So, like, this game just has stay away written all over it. I don't think the Rams can score enough points with this dude, a quarterback, to keep up with Seattle. Because even, even though Seattle has been struggling on offense, like, I just don't see the Rams beating them in this game. I think this could be a you know a, game, a super low-scoring game. Both teams score less than 20 points. I don't even know if the Rams are going to break like 14. So this is going to be an ugly game if you really like offense. But I'm going to take Seattle in this game. And then that brings us to the night game. Uh, 8-15 on Saturday. Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the 7-9 Washington football team. I thought about this game for a long time. And I think this game will look like a typical New England game. So let me explain. Washington's only hope of winning this game is that they have the best pass rush in the NFL. Between Darren Payne, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, their front four is insane. Tampa's offensive line is not very good. Which means, you know, and we know, we've seen Brady, when you hit him with just four guys and you drop everyone else in the coverage, he does struggle. And I think Arians is going to try to prove a, prove a point in the first half and run his offense, which is like these vertical downfield throws where Tom has to hold the ball and he's going to get beat up. And Washington might be up like, you know, 13 to 10 or like 10-7, or it could be like Tampa's up by a field goal, similar scores. And what's going to happen is, at halftime, Brady is going to do what Aaron Rodgers has been doing all this time, which is, screw you, you have no idea what you're doing, I'm going to do whatever I want. Then you're going to see in the second half, Tom Brady come out all pissed off, and he's going to start throwing these two, three-yard routes all day long, to stop the pass rush, and then he's going to eventually kill him with Antonio Brown who and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, who are all pretty good after the catch, except for Evans, but you know what I mean. It's going to turn into a Patriots game. You're going to see a lot of check downs. You're going to see a lot of like shallow crossers to intermediate crosses. You're going to see Gronk have one or two seam routes you know, for moderate gains. And by the time you look up, it's going to be you know Tampa 24, Washington 13. You're going to say, how did that happen? It was just a you know a one score game two seconds ago. Now it's a three score game or something like that or high two score game. I kind of think that's how that's how this is gonna go. I was really tempted. The line's now down actually to Tampa Bay minus eight. It opened at Washington plus nine, so it's a point in the other direction now. I would I don't know if I'd bet this game because I think Washington could keep this close, depending on if Alex Smith plays the whole game, but there's a report that he might not because his calf is really banged up, whatever. I don't know what's going on there. I'm taking the Buccaneers, and I would I would just stay away from that. 
All right, the Sunday games. Here we go. We got the Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. This game is my favorite game of the weekend for a couple reasons. There's now a rivalry, I think, between the Ravens and the Titans. Obviously, last year, we know what happened. Derrick Henry stiff arms Earl Thomas into oblivion, right? And then early, they beat the, you know, top-seeded Ravens. Then this year, you have a rematch, Ravens versus Titans, earlier in the year. Ravens jump out to a pretty big lead. Titans come storming all the way back. They win the game, and the Ravens were not happy with their, you know, pregame antics, so to speak. Really pissed the Ravens off. Ravens are playing really well right now. They, they're running the hell out of the ball. Lamar Jackson looks healthy. They're playing really good defense. They are steamrolling teams. And I'll be quite honest with you. I don't know if Tennessee's defense, with their non-existent pass rush and their non-existent secondary, is going to be able to contain Lamar Jackson this year. Last year they did it, and they did a really good job at it, but they just don't have the players to compete with the Ravens in this game, I don't think. Now, obviously, Derrick Henry, you know, and their offense with Tannehill and A.J. Brown are going to keep it close. But I'm going to take the Ravens in this game. I think with with no pass rush, they're going to have to send extra guys if they want to contain Lamar Jackson. Because if not, he's going to be doing that dancing back there all day. And I don't want Lamar Jackson running if I'm the Titans. You want him throwing, obviously. But I don't know if you can just drop everyone in the coverage if you don't have a pass rush. So just throwing that out there. You know, the Titans are a bottom five team in pretty much every defensive category. I mean, you can throw on them. This might be the game that Lamar potentially proves the haters wrong and just shreds this team. But we don't know. I'm going to take the Ravens in this game. I think it's going to be a really tough physical game. And I really like those when it's not involving the Chiefs. (laughs) All right, two more. Bears at the Saints. I don't really have too much to say here other than this game is going to be the game that potentially earns Mitch Trubisky a contract or not. This game is going to determine his fate right here. If you can go to the Dome, even though it's not, there's not going to be fans or anything, if you can go to the Dome in New Orleans and put up big numbers against this defense, then we might have to give you a super high incentive contract. If you go in this game to the Dome and you get smacked by this defense, we know it's totally time to move on from Mitch Trubisky. Because he has looked good the past couple weeks. For the Saints, I could see the more Drew Brees struggles against this defense, the more Taysom Hill plays and runs the option. I don't really have too much to evaluate on this game. I'm just going to take the Saints. They're the better team. They have home field advantage. Their defense is just as good, if not better, than the Bears. I know their offense is better than the Bears. Kamara should be back. Michael Thomas should be back. Drew Brees is getting healthier. Even though he can't throw more than 10 yards downfield, I'm taking the Saints in this game. Last game of the weekend, late game on Sunday, Browns-Steelers. I know they just played each other last week. The Browns beat the Steelers. Steelers didn't play Big Ben. They didn't play T.J. Watt. Like, they played Mason Rudolph. So, like, what are we doing? Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on the Steelers, specifically Mike Tomlin, in this game. You can't play the Browns 
in a, who have been historically terrible in a playoff game without their coach who also doubles as their offensive play caller and lose the game. It can't happen. Now, like, I get it. People want to crucify Tomlin because he loses to the Patriots all the time. Yeah, pretty much the only person who beats the Patriots is Andy Reid. No one else beats the Patriots. And Andy Reid doesn't even do it consistently. He just does it enough where it's like, hey, wow, this guy beat the Patriots. Like, again. And people worry. Like, all right. So I don't hold those losses against Tomlin. But, you like, there's no, you can't lose to the Browns, who are a divisional, team, divisional rival, with their out, without their head coach and their offensive play caller and half their coaching staff because of COVID. You cannot lose this game. I think the Browns are in trouble because they don't have Kevin Stefanski. He is the most important player in the entire Browns franchise. I mean, player. He's the most important person in the entire Browns franchise. Kevin Stefanski. Because last year, the roster was pretty much exactly the same as it is right now. Except this year, they made the playoffs. I think... I think without Stefanski there, they're in big trouble. Because they're going to resort to what teams do when they don't have their quarterback. Which is they're going to run the ball and try to control the clock and all that stuff. And I don't know if I want to, you know... Because I don't even know who's going to call plays for them on Sunday. To be completely honest with you. I have no idea who it's going to be. I, I think the Browns are in potentially really big trouble in this game. Which means if the Steelers somehow find a way to lose this game. Because I think they're going to have to lose it. Not the Browns are going to have to win it. The Steelers... I mean, I don't know what they would do if they lose this game. I just don't think if you're Mike Tomlin... You can, af- you can afford to lose this game. I just don't think it's possible. Big Ben, you know, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, James Conner, all these guys they have, you know, TJ Watt and Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick. Like, you just got to go out there. You're the better team and go beat them. That's just, it is how it is. And I think that's what's going to happen. But I'm just throwing it out there that it's possible that if, you know, the Steelers lose this game, that's a huge storyline there. So that wraps it up for me. Like I said at the beginning of the sh- you know the podcast here, make sure you like, comment, share, spread the word. We're on Spotify. You can listen to all of our stuff on the website as well as read all of our stuff on, on the website, beakbrands.com. You can follow me at Tim Ferdinand. You can follow our account at Beak Brands, and you could also follow our other Beak Brands contributors. Definitely help us out, spread the word. We will see you guys next week.